listening to the Dr. Claude Kirshner Show. My name is Dr. Claude Kirshner, and we are here to serve organizational leaders and agile teams who strive for excellence and differentiation. I hope you enjoy the content. If you have any questions or would like some additional resources, please visit our website at www.archconsults.com. Enjoy. So if you want to be intense, it's about choosing what you focus on and not focusing on a lot of things. I mean, we choose not to do these things now because we don't have the time. But that doesn't mean we're never going to get to do them. And I think it was you who said that you're willing to put yourself through something and live like no one else, like nose down, work hard so that later you can live like no one else. And that discipline is huge. It's huge. The entrepreneur is the person, the visionary, the idea, the pragmatist, the the calculated risk taker, and we set out some of these competencies that we'll go over on who the entrepreneur is. Really, who who is this person? What makes this person unique? And there's some takeaways that are pretty consistent amongst successful entrepreneurs about mitigating risk, uh, having some level of leadership ability, uh, having some ability to leverage resources. These are all fairly common, but the reality is entrepreneurs have all sorts of different profiles. And how that entrepreneur sets up a process, which is the entrepreneurial process, and utilizes tools, strategic entrepreneurship tools, that create the environment of entrepreneurship. Oh my gosh, you created something from nothing. And it didn't just appear, and oh, I'm going to go take care of that. You had to create it. You had to take steps to create it. And entrepreneurship is about leveraging resources to exploit opportunities, creative ways to do it. It doesn't mean I have to be a business owner. It doesn't mean I have to be rich and employ a bunch of people. It's the creative process that we leverage resources to exploit an opportunity. Before we begin going through the processes and before we talk about the problem and the opportunity, it's so vital that we understand the foundation of these two things because we'll always go back to them because we may need to shift or pivot ourselves. What's most important now that I launch my business when a two-year-old is at home or that I go to class and I take the pragmatic step and I use resources a little bit here and I use a little bit here, but I'm not going to invest our, our 401k into this business. It's a process. So five years from now, it could be a totally different story. Five years from now, you, you could be leveraging resources and things that you've known in your mind about yourself all along, but you just haven't had the opportunity to let it go. So I learn how to understand people better, be more emotionally intelligent. So as an entrepreneur, if you're not willing to change, your value system may not change, it shouldn't. You have to sometimes change yourself and adapt in order to, to succeed in the environment of entrepreneurship. And if you're not willing to do that, I don't care how good your business model is. I don't care how many resources you have. I don't care how many employees you have. You can, you can go fail because you can't get up in the morning and you can't create something with positivity and value that just forces you into becoming someone that you don't necessarily want to be. So that's uh, why it's so important to understand the entrepreneur and how it fits into the entrepreneurial environment. Passion is one thing. It can get you a certain place, but passion needs acumen in order to attain sustainability. Acumen with passion is sustainability. If you just have passion for a subject matter, if you just have passion to start a business, if you have a passion for people, but you don't know how to shepherd them or lead them within a certain confines or within a certain structure, inevitably, you're going to need to bring people onto your team. You're going to need to humble yourself in order to you're going to fail. It's just typically what happens. So hopefully, the passion of the entrepreneur meets the acumen of entrepreneurship, and that's kind of where we're going to get to. So the opportunity. Let's shift from entrepreneurship, the entrepreneur, to now the opportunity. Problem recognition, problem and need recognition. So this is a interesting drill and it may, it may seem oversimplified, but I want you all to understand just how important this is on something called customer development. Understanding who your customer is, what their problems are, validating their problems, testing the hypothesis, because as we walk through this, I want you all to have ideas and in your journal or whatever it is, just start writing them down. I got a problem with getting too tired at night in class. I got a problem with having to cook my food and it always makes a mess. I got a problem with my ability to um, put sneakers on and not have them stink. Like just write it down because 
that process of understanding problems leads to potential opportunity recognition. But we have to talk about the problems first. So recognizing opportunity, delivering concepts, skills, uh, things that you've refined over time, what you're capable of, these are our competencies. Things that if, if you were to ask me to recite the alphabet, I would likely be competent enough to recite the alphabet. It means that I've been taught this over time. An entrepreneur also has competencies. Would you want to follow an entrepreneur who's, who, who is lazy, who has, doesn't have the competency of toiling and hard work, uh, but instead has the competency of, of laziness? It's typically not one you see in entrepreneurs. So opportunity recognition is number one. And we can go through all sorts of iterations and ideation of different opportunities and why they're important. And it, it starts there, but it, it, the challenge is asking yourself the question. Is this a problem? Is this a solvable problem? What would be the tentative resolution to this problem? Does the customer even know it's a problem? <laughs> Did I know that I needed to be picked up by a stranger in their personal car five years ago, 10 years ago? No, I had no idea. I thought taxi system was working great until Uber came out. I had no idea I had a problem, but they showed me that my life could be better with their solution to my problem or to, they taught me about the problem I had. <laughs> so this is just guerrilla resilience, self-efficacy. We won't get into the ones. I just wanted to show you that number one is opportunity recognition. So here we go. The process of creating value by putting together a unique combination of resources to exploit an opportunity. I want you to memorize this. This is what entrepreneurs do. This is what entrepreneurship is. Process, value, unique approach, opportunity. The process, identify an opportunity. Let's run one through. A bank has people waiting in line. Tellers can't get to them quick enough. There's a potential opportunity with having tellers use a digital iPad to walk into the line and try to get people to go out faster. It's, it's an opportunity for the bank branch manager to potentially process more customers. It's an opportunity for customers to get in and out of the bank a little bit quicker. But so we're going to get used to this process and I use tons of, of examples so we can get used to this process of talking about opportunity. Develop a business concept. There's a difference in opportunity and concept. Is it viable? Cancer is horrendous. It, it takes lives every year. There's scientists tons of scientists studying ways in which to solve it. Is it a viable concept for me to say, I want to start a business and I want to cure acute lymphoblastic leukemia? Is it viable? It could be, but we have to think about the resolution, the end note. Is it a viable concept? Or would it be more prudent for me to potentially find a drug that alleviates pain during the process of chemo? Is that potentially a more prudent concept to think about? So when you think about the opportunity, it's okay to get outlandish, but let's try to bring it into a funnel system where we look at opportunities that are viable. Assess the needed resources, acquire the necessary resources, implement, manage and harvest the venture. What is assess the needed resources? What are some examples of resources? Funding. So another word would be cash. What's another example of a resource? People. People. Is intellectual property a resource? Yes. Sure is. Could um, a social media channel that has 6,000 followers, could that be an intellectual property resource where you can, it's, it's a marketing channel, it sure is? Yes. Can you leverage that? You sure can. The other one would be assets, buildings, assets. cars. Uh, these are tangible assets, which is equipment. So those are just typical resources. So we, when we look at an opportunity, we also have to assess the resources we have to potentially exploit the opportunity. Your background, uh, your family, and very easily leverage another person's resources. So that's another thing we can think about. Who do I know that is prominent in this space? Who do I know that can help me exploit this opportunity and would they be available to potentially meet with them? Favorable set of circumstances creating a need or opening for a new business concept. Every day, you guys see this. Every day, you guys have things go through your mind. Every day you see opportunities. Some people don't see them. That's what's unique. If you think for a second that and I'll use this example because it's sort of the employee versus the uh, owner mentality is that the person at Home Depot that notices that the plywood that this man is about to buy is about to buy 10 pieces of plywood. It's significantly underpriced. It's at two cents a piece of plywood. She notices it in the system and says, you know, uh, well, I can't change the system. So, you know, this is the price. Congratulations. You just bought a bunch of plywood for next to nothing. And oh, by the way, you can go get some more if you want. 
might as well take some more plywood with you. That's an employee mentality, is that if you're an employee and you see that this, this is a problem, right? She says, you know what, take some more, take as much as you want. And then she goes on to the next customer and doesn't think about it, doesn't care, just moves on with her day. Where an entrepreneurial opportunist would say, oh my gosh, can you imagine? What if we were a small business? We just sold a bunch of plywood for next to nothing. We'll go out of business. Why don't I figure out a way to create an inventory system where this never happens? How do I, let's have double standards where a little thing comes up. Let's bring this presentation to the manager, to the boss. That's an opportunistic way of thinking. The majority of people likely would just move on with their day. The difference between the entrepreneur and the majority of people is the entrepreneur acts on the opportunity, talks about the opportunity. So there's an expansion of a potential business concept to go and contact the manufacturer, go take a picture of the thing, talk to the manufacturer, ask, say, hey, I'd really like to work with you on purchasing a couple of these in quantity. Talk to a banker who can, who can finance the operation or a business partner, buy 10 of them, ship them to an address you have down there, and, and do direct sales with some of the people on the street. Introduce the new product to the country. So it's just, we can go on and on. And just working at Home Depot alone, there's all sorts of different things you can think about there. And it's so fun. But the stressful part is not recognizing the opportunity. The stressful part is making sense of the opportunity. And the stressful part is commercializing the opportunity. That's where passion meets the process. And we have to keep going so that we can understand how does this work? So the existence of pain. What is pain? Crawls something that's a hassle. Loss of time. Loss. Stress, stress could cost more money, could hurt physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. It's pain. Typically, what pain brings some people, unless they have a clinical depression, which is the case sometimes, it brings them towards a saying, I want to alleviate this pain. So you can look to say, okay, I can solve this myself, or I can look to someone or something that does this for a living to solve my problem for me. So when you have pain, the other side of the pain is gain. So when you think about problem recognition, when you think about looking at opportunity, you can't just look at the pain. You have to say, what do they gain from me figuring out a concept for them to alleviate this pain into a game? Sports jackets. I have to go and interview for a company. I'd like to get a job. I, I know that's kind of inefficient, but I, I need to look good. The pain happens when I don't show up with a jacket, I don't look good, I get rejected, and I can't. So you almost have to walk through the story with the customer saying, hey, I can provide you with a solution, but it, it's keeping pain from your life. It's not really alleviating pain. It's, it's mitigating future pain. <laughs> if I don't brush my teeth in the morning, it doesn't really hurt me, but my wife isn't going to want to sleep with me or kiss me when I come over. You can go on and on, but what do I gain out of it? I get a nice jacket. I look good, I show up to the interview, they, they see that I have some professionalism and I could potentially get a job. So walk the opportunity from the pain through the process to the game because sometimes it's hard to join those two things. So when we think about opportunity, we think about the existence of pain that can be removed if something is unsatisfactory. But you have to have opportunity without something being wrong. Opportunity versus concept and idea and say, hey, here's the opportunity, here's the pain, and here's the concept that's going to alleviate the pain. They're stuck. So I'm creating a, an organization that helps them transition from one life cycle to the next. So I'm alleviating pain by saying, hey, if you don't do something about this transitional process, your business could potentially move in a direction you don't want it to go. So I have to convince them that they have pain. Or they could come to me and say, you know what? I have pain. Or I can go to them and say, hey, you may not have pain now, but unless you start addressing some of these things, the pain is about to come. And I may have to educate them on that. And then I'm going to have to show them why my concept, what I do for a living, what I can provide them, is going to help with that pain. So the opportunity and the concept are two different things. How do we differentiate between them? But the business concept, we're going to walk through the business model canvas. It is a way in which you commercialize a potential opportunity. You may have a scientific invention that's awesome, and it may solve um, our ability to manufacture bottles that do not go into the ocean and do not pollute people. It's an unbelievable pain reliever for future generations because these bottles make a big mess. But if I don't have a business concept behind my 
my opportunity recognition. Great, good job. The business concept needs to be coupled with it so that you can launch it and commercialize it. That's where the difference is, and that process is a little bit more challenging than you would think. You would think that if you have this really cool initiative and this really cool opportunity or this really cool pain that you're alleviating from customers, then people are going to knock down your door and buy it. And in addition to that, you're going to make money while you're selling it. It's not easy to run a business. So the opportunity and the concept, it's important to keep those different. Different types of opportunities. Are we creating a new market? Are we segmenting an existing market? Are we offering an, an alternative in existing market that's cheaper? Are we offering an alternative alternative in existing market that is niche, unique, different? Or are we creating a blue ocean, a, a brand new market that's never been there before? So do something cheaper, quicker, higher, a more quality, more reliable, incremental, better. Show me an example of that. What's a Amazon? Tell us why. So many reasons. Was I was I able to go out and purchase things that I could get on Amazon and other places? Sure. Sure it was. But what does Amazon bring to the table now that it's an opportunity? Uh, uh, efficiency, uh, speed, uh, uh, drone delivery, delivery. Don't drone delivery. Yeah, offer quite a few things. Did Amazon go from a, a business that was cool to what it is today without some iteration, some pivoting, some customer feedback? No, they had their, they had they, they grew. Oh, they, they started somewhere and probably they're they're somewhere different. But the reality is the market was there. People could go and buy things. Amazon made it cheaper, quicker. Higher quality, maybe not higher quality, but the, the process was easier, more reliable, incremental better. They created competition for other products because I can easily access that. And the marketplace. It's amazing. Creating opportunities for other people to make money. That's a dream come true. So health and nutrition. Health and nutrition. So that would be taking an existing market, the food market, the food industry, and creating a niche within it to say, hey, you can go and buy your food anywhere else, but at Whole Foods or whatever, we do things a little different around here. And let me explain to you what we do that can create a unique segment that's not for everyone. It's not for people that you know may not be able to afford it. Not everyone can eat healthy because they're in a different phase of life. But you created a niche with an existing market. So in that food business, let's look at a different area, a whole new market. Let's look at salty donuts. It's an interesting example. They took a donut, and they don't compete with Dunkin' Donuts. They don't compete with donut shops. They're in a, a completely different market, if you ask me. They're in like fancy, luxury, unique desserts. You wouldn't classify them as donuts. I think they created a whole new market. It may not be a great example, like you know, fracking or ethanol or some other form of gas is really kind of creating a whole new market. But what Salty Donuts did with the donut industry is pretty unique, different. It's not just segmenting unique. It's really creating. I don't even like donuts, but I'll go to Salty Donuts because it's like. So I guess that's another example of what would be considered something completely different. Kind of on the food industry. Economically, politically, things happen within our community. So if, for instance, the budget went up for roadways to create new highway systems, nicer transportation, what would be the opportunity for businesses here in Miami? Well, they're going to need someone to, to refurbish these highways. They're going to need workers to work on these train systems. The government hires existing businesses. They don't create a construction company. They find a business that can work with them. So sometimes the opportunity comes from economic or political changes. It doesn't just come from some smart person that says, I have a pain point. So that's another way to recognize opportunity. We talked about the last class of the COVID crisis and what COVID did and the opportunities that it's created for a lot of people. It annually created lots of opportunities for realtors to make a lot of money. And it also created opportunities for um, car dealers and manufacturers because it was a limited supply that they could sell more cars and potentially make more money. Deliberate or active search or a discovery process as one pursues everyday life. But what are, what's the difference here? It's kind of like when you sit down and think, ah, sit down and think, okay, there's an opportunity, 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 versus you're just hanging out, walking down the street, and something, a light bulb goes off. So there's two different ways to do it. And a lot of times, organizations have, like 3M, have the incentive to look for and actively seek opportunities. Entrepreneurial organizations, we talked about compensate their staff members based on their ability to exploit, leverage, create, and, and market, bring product market fit to new segments. They're looking for ideas. 
Which is better? Or are they just different? They're just different, right? So in the marketing business, I mean, you're pretty much in business to create deliberate or active search for ways in which to market a product. But the discovery process, which is one of my favorite, more fun processes, is to go through this process sort of in a very casual, iterative learning, asking questions, being willing to change, looking to your customer for the solution, not thinking that you have the solution in your head, that kind of thing. You guys see the difference? It's a cool one. We're going to do a lot of discovery, but we're going to do a little bit with the del deliberate as well. The deliberate is at, is at first, when we draw the business model canvas, we have a, a value proposition that we're going to say, this is what we think we offer customers. And in our minds, in our heads, in our own strengths, we're going to write that down on a piece of paper. And then we're going to go ask the customer. We're not going to take our biases into that conversation. We're going to just say, hey, what do you think? What are some of your problems that you struggle with in this segment of fruit juice? I do like fruit juice. I don't like fruit juice. Thank you so much. Well, what don't you like about it? How much would you be willing to pay for it? You know, give me feedback on my new fruit stand I'm about to set up outside your, your organization before I set it up. Or the, the antithesis would be I go in, I say, you know what, everyone likes fruit juice. I think they should like, I like fruit juice, my family likes fruit juice. I read an industry report where fruit juice was the, the leading trend in 2025. So I'm going to start a fruit juice business, I'm going to put it outside of your organization without even asking you whether or not you can drink it. They may have bylaws in their, in their organization prohibiting fruit juice in the building. But because you didn't ask the question, because you weren't open to that discovery process, the opportunity didn't really, you know, like we use that word germinate, it didn't really create itself on its own. You kind of forced it into the conversation. I'm sure you probably have some stories about marketing and ways in which you can like force something in versus something that sort of happens naturally. Find the opportunity. I can actually give you an example the consumer insight and finding those unique consumer insights. On the Burger King account, this agency wasn't just known for doing just quote unquote advertising for their clients, but they really went in and they believed in building the brand from the inside out and looking at every consumer touch. They looked at um, consumers in their relationship with drive-throughs and picking up food um, for whoever's in the car for themselves. And one of the first things a consumer does, as you know, when you get through the drive-through at any burger place, uh, you start picking on your fries. Some may fall to the bottom of the bag and so forth. So the agency thought, well, why don't we make it easier for the consumer to have those fries? Now, they knew they couldn't go up against McDonald's because everybody loves McDonald's fries, but they can make it easier for the consumer to eat their fries. So they invented cup holders for the french fries. That's cool. That's how you get your french fries now from Burger King, so you can put in your cup holder. Yeah. And they saw a significant increase in french fry sales. Now they thought, wow, this was gangbusters. What else do they eat out of their bags? Well, everybody grabs a chicken nugget every now and then, but we can't make cups for a cup holder that can hold those chicken nuggets. No, but we can reshape the chicken nugget in the cup holder. Is that how that came about? Yes. Those chicken fries? Yes. That's now, and at the same time, Volkswagen was another client that lived under the same roof. And the story was being told to Volkswagen. And Volkswagen, to them, was in complete dismay. Like it was blasphemy because Germans, for them, eating inside your car <laughs> is a complete insult. <laughs> so <laughs> they had spoken to, to you know, Volkswagen Germany about making their cup holders in their car, which might be better for the consumers in the States. They were completely against it. So, so the process, and thank you for sharing that true word, of finding opportunity is a ongoing entrepreneurial process. Because I have to look at your planet when I say, I don't think that's right, I think you should go this way. Or if I was a consumer, this is the hardest thing for an entrepreneur to hear, I, I wouldn't buy that. Or I wouldn't pay that for that mm -hmm. price. And the, the willingness to be open-minded to feedback and to listen to the feedback, gave, gather data, and actually test your customer discovery process would, will save you a ton down the road. Your customer is what drives the business. The entrepreneur is just alleviating problems and creating gain and less pain and you know, hopefully being able to utilize resources to give you what you want. But if I go and I give you something like brownie, 
And he said, that doesn't really taste great. And I said, okay, all right, cool. Thank you so much. Like, that's the best thing you can tell me. So I go back to the kitchen. We're like, what do you think about this one? And that one's better. Ah, Allah. You know, before I take it to market, before I spend a bunch of money on marketing, I should probably know what my customer is looking for. Finding out to challenge existing assumptions, what we just talked about. <laughs> Look for patterns or trends. Sorry, patterns of trends in markets, demographic, social behaviors, customer buying behavior, competitive practices, etc. There are trends in the financial business. There are trends in what's happening with the uh, the war in Ukraine. There are uh, crazy opportunities within this new generation of workforce and their utilization of technology and social media and TikTok. There are a ton of opportunities for uh, companies to leverage independent 1099 workers and the gig economy. Look, pay attention to the macroeconomic picture and see how you could think about ways in which you can leverage smaller microeconomic increases in it. Or just be open-minded to listen to someone's idea and say, they're wrong with something. In this class, what it should teach you is that some galvanizer, crazy snake oil salesman that comes and tells you what the next trend is going to be, you're going to say, wait a minute, that's not what I know. Because I'm open, I'm learning something different than you, buddy. I'm not buying that. So whatever, you know, that, that information that you have throughout this process of recognizing opportunities, it gets you to stay ahead of some of these conversations. Monitor changes in rules, laws, regulations. You know, I'm not into politics, and I don't necessarily... I mean, I'm obviously not going to get political, but the reality is eventually I believe that I'm going to step into this space, not just because I care uh, about the community, all these kinds of things, which is important. I think it really is, but it will personally affect me because my children are going to be raised in a neighborhood that's unsafe. And that's when I say I'm here and I'm not going away and I need, you need to listen to me because there's something going on here that's not okay. And then when the politics say, okay, we're going to create a safer neighborhood. What follows that? Strategy, it's resources, money, capital, investment structure. So an entrepreneur is going to create that political unrest or somebody is going to create that political unrest. And then somebody is going to follow that funding and is going to see the opportunity that's going to be created with possibly building homes around an area in which if you're a developer, a real estate developer, where they're going to build a big park. That's a perfect example of a person who is is leveraging rules, regulations, law changes. You know what? It may not be a good neighborhood to live now, but Donald Trump knows something you don't know. He's over there doing his thing, figuring out where he's going to build his next multi-million where most of the developers say that piece of real estate is never going to go up. Meanwhile, in his back pocket, Donald Trump saying, I know a law's about to be passed, and I'm, I'm buying that piece of real estate. That's, that's actually how he got made his first few deals. Rule changes, demographic changes, underserved markets, poorly served markets. Social trends, we talked about some of those new customers to a market, increasing usage rates, shortages, applications of new knowledge, technologies to address unmet needs or change ways needs are met. Any ideas come to mind when I said social trends? Coco Melon. Or oh, Instagram. Yeah, I know that. You ever heard of that? Yeah. That's a trend. Some of you have no idea what that is because you don't have two year olds. <laughs> <laughs> The ownership of electric vehicles, uh, fully autonomous vehicles. My cousin used to work for Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. My other cousin now works with Edie um, Azalea. And she is on top of all these trends. You know why? Because she's following influencers. And typically, when I'm a product development person, when I'm in the marketing space, and I, I have something that I believe others will like, I'll pay someone to, to wear it. If I'm the coolest kid in school, if, if you're the coolest kid in school and I'm a business person, I'm going to say, I'll pay a hundred bucks to wear my hat. <laughs> and you say, oh, I'll make it 200. I say, all right, 200 is. Wear my hat for two weeks every day. And if people come up to you and say they, they want to know where you got the hat from, you give them one of these cards. There's 200 bucks, right? set go. And what's going to happen? People are going to come, well, buy a hat that the coolest kid in school is wearing. He's going to be an evangelist. He's going to be an influencer. So these are so that's how social trends start. So be aware of some of these things. I'm not saying follow crazy people on TikTok, but just understand how some of these social trends get created. The future of the utilization of our personal data, especially for marketing, is a major trend. Being able to write code and design software and do this kind of stuff, my gosh. And you know why? It's because these people have all this data and they don't know what to do with it. 
they have to dump it into some software that tells the algorithm what to do so that it produces a social media feed on my wife's, you know, Instacart, so she buys the new initiatives or social trends. Why would something not be a good opportunity? There's no market for it. No market. Where buyers and sellers come together. Marketing is buyers. The market is the culmination of the people you're going to sell to. Marketing is the communication to the culmination of people you want to sell to. If there's no people out there, like for instance, Thomas Cars, think about it. Nobody's, it's not illegal. Why would I start manufacturing? Yeah, it could be future, but the market hasn't been created yet. It's been created in different countries. The reason not to go towards an opportunity. Not the right time. Not the right time. It would be a great time in August of 2020 to have a wine tasting event. No. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> would it be a great time? Um, after the genocide in Uganda to um, start a church. Maybe, it could be actually. It could be a good time for that. The, the, there's a process to learn about these early adopters and visionary customers and, and who they are and what they're about. Those are the ones you want to talk to in this customer development process. They'll give you some good insight. Typically know a lot about their problem. Typically know about the features and functionalities of how they want to buy something too. But the reality is that those visionaries and, and those early adopters are not the mass market. So there's a way in which you create, they, they may want to buy it. The first people to buy the iPhone, the iPhone didn't get popular until five years later once the app store was developed. So there's some crazy people out there that said, hey, this iPhone is going to happen, and, but it may not have been a good time to start investing in applications. Maybe a better time to start investing in applications later. There's a cool quote I heard that says, the pioneers are the ones with the arrows in their backs. They're the ones who went out first and got hurt and got shot. <laughs> they took the risk, but then it's some of those pragmatists that come in after them that, that get the market, like food delivery systems and you know some of these new technologies where you may think it's new, but there were three or four or five other big players that had some significant money behind them that tried out that space, learned a lot, and through that competitive understanding, the next person that came and actually won is the one who came in and actually won. So the timing is huge. That's fun. No market, bad timing. What else? Lack of resources. Lack of resources. How about if you want to start an airline? Overwhelming competition. If my uncle was Richard Branson, could I potentially have a leg up on the airline industry? Customer is not dissatisfied. They're perfectly happy with what they're doing. I think I love my truck. It's got gas. I never drive an electric car. That's what I say. I'm satisfied. You're not going to be able to sell me on an electric car. That'd be different for you or you or you or you. I don't know. But people could be very well satisfied with what they have. What's the switching cost? What are the switching costs for AT&T to T-Mobile? Are there switching costs for me as a consumer? to buy this water versus this water to a different store and haunt it down online and the answer is no. Everybody understand? It's easy for me to buy this water versus this water. But switching from AT&T to Verizon, what are some switching costs that I as a consumer would perceive in that process? And I would go to Amsterdam, I would go to a bunch of places and I didn't have to activate roaming. It so if you switch to a different provider, you wouldn't have that feature. Exactly. So switching so costs. I dumped AT&T. How about the fact that my phone's here, it's working great, and in order for me to switch, i got to make a phone call. And then he says, well, I want you to stay, and it's annoying. It's a switching cost for me as a consumer. Or i got to go to the store, and i got to pour it over my contacts, and i got to get the thing, and maybe i got to pay more money. It's switching costs. So the fun one in the um, pool industry for me is, is we were in sort of a commodity business, and you can go with anyone in that, that can give you pool service, but how we added this unique... Uh, loyalty, this customer intimacy, is we would go way out of our way in times of hurricanes. And we, we would do things for our customers that I would go out there in my boots, whatever, and I, I put in all their patio furniture. We left snowbirds as, as clients. And we created customer intimacy in times of crisis for them. We, we would do whatever they needed to do for free. Put their shutters up, take their stuff off the patio, take pictures of the patio, make sure they knew that their place was okay. Afterwards, we'd put the stuff back. We'd have these uh, the pool equipment has labels on it. It says filter, pump, heater, whatever that looks like. And on the label, we label everything, but of course we would put our company logo on our phone number. 
on all of our equipment, every time we'd service this pool, especially new accounts, we'd remove anything that said any of our competitors and we put our name on it. So it's just that what that is a perceived switching cost for my competitors is that for my customers, I'm sorry, because they see that I must be familiar with this equipment. And man, I, my Reef Tropical just has that intimacy with my accounts. I'm just going to use them. Why would I go and have somebody else come out here and quote me? We would build customer intimacy, which would build customer loyalty, which would create perceived switching costs in our customers' heads. They wouldn't fire us. We'd keep customers for longer than our competitors. Software industry. If you are building a new software, field service software, and a company knows they have a poor software already installed, the switching costs to move to the better software would be that all of my staff are already trained on this. All of our network already runs on this. And I have to now retrain and, and pay all this money. It's a switching cost. It's a pain in the butt project. It could not be as good of an opportunity for me to bear the switching costs. We say, okay, well, let me ask you a question. Let me talk to you. Or let me ask you, what would be the idealistic view here? Well, let me tell you. I got the software. I got 10 employees using it. They're all trained. You know, if, if you guys can come in and you know, install this stuff for me and train my staff members and, you know, just put some meetings on my calendar to show me how to use it, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. As a customer, I'll tell you what is going to, to help me. And I have to take that back to my laboratory and I have to build that into my working product. I have to build that into my offer. I have to build that into my pitch when I say I have an opportunity, the business concept to help alleviate that pain. I have to take that customer's potential or experience into consideration. More on the opportunity. The customer is the key. Who buys? How do they buy? How much do they buy? Why do they buy? When do they buy? Where do they buy? Uh, lemon squeezers, okay, lemon squeezers. garlics, you know, yeah, so and things like that. Lemon squeezers. Is there a market currently out there for lemon squeezers? Are there lemon squeezers? Yes. Is she creating a new market? No. That's no. Okay, let me ask you a question. Just real rapid fire. Would you be selling the lemon squeezer cheaper than other lemon squeezers? Yes. Okay, so it's cheap. So she creating a new market. Okay, so there's, she's entering the existing market with a cheaper product, right? She's resegmenting with price. Let me ask this question. Who buys lemon squeezers? Anybody who cooks? Or Not anybody who cooks. Who buys lemon squeezers? Any ideas? Restaurants. Restaurants. It's a great one. Who else? Health conscious people who like lemons. Typically men or women. Women. Most likely women. So you're targeting women who are between the ages of, let's say, 25 to 50. It can't be any. Let's try to narrow down the market. So women, restaurants, um, people who are health conscious between these ages. Okay, cool. How do they buy? Online. Buy lemon squeezers online. Okay, cool. How much do they buy? How many lemon squeezers at a time? One. One. But what if you're a business? You're a restaurant. Yeah. And they buy more. Okay, so possibly two different ways to communicate to customers. And you might have to choose one at first and then pivot. Okay, cool. Why do they buy? Why, what's the pain that people need lemon squeezers? Margaritas. Margaritas. If you're making lemon juice and mass, which I think about the business concept of uh, business to business and not business to consumer, there's not a lot of consumers. I would think the average household home probably doesn't have a lemon squeeze. So it could be a prudent business to do a cost uh, niche, lesser price to commercial businesses who sell lemon juice or make fancy drinks. Awesome. We're getting somewhere with this business. Why do they buy? When do they buy? When the heat occurs. Yeah, so if someone's at work in the middle of the day, they're not at night. My lemons, I'm thinking about my squeezing lemons. So they're probably at night, which is cool. They're probably doing it online. They're probably, so it's good to know that. More about the opportunity. The customer's key. Well, get into the mindset. Walk a day in the life. Draw your customer as we walk through this process. We need to confidently be able to, because I looked on Amazon. And I saw that women between age 35, whatever, are buying 30% more lemon squeezers than they were in 1990. And we have a unique way to uh, create or manufacture a lemon squeezer that's 5% cheaper than all of our competition. And we've already, here's a prototype of it. Let me show you how it squeezes a lemon. And there you go. You have to show them, you have to articulate that with confidence, with value, saying if you invest in this, it will work. Forming a business plan. Is that something realistic that you can bring to? Uh, the banker or the SBA or whoever. Oh, I got these stats off Amazon, you know, about your market or whatever. Would, so what we're talking about is assumptions and we're going to build models and projections based on assumptions. So we're going to test our assumptions. 
So those assumptions, okay, yeah, really tell me more. Well, I actually went out to five people who were between these ages and I asked them if they had lemon squeezers, but that they buy it. They said they don't. Are you in the market to buy one? Do you know what the benefit is of them? They all said yes. And you write that down and you say, actually, not only got the stats from Amazon, I substantiated it by actually asking the customers. Now I'm writing it up and now I'm making projections, not just on fancy assumptions, but on actual real data that I collected myself. The answer to that first question is yeah, some banks and most businesses are based on that kind of intuition and guesswork and business planning and I'm in my cave and I write the thing and I think it works and I go tell the investors about it. Some investors will say yes, but what we're gonna mix in is a little bit of that, mix with a little bit of practicality and then talking to investors with passion and zeal. So this is where we leverage our stories. I know Lauren is a mother and I know you're a student and I'll get to learn a little bit more about all of you as we go through this, but that's where we leverage our unique experience because if Julio stands up there and says, I, this is the field I've been in, and this is what I know about the fancy cup holders, and here's where I know that the market is going, it, it has a little bit more clout, and if I'm an investor, I'm looking at one thing more than anyone. It's the experience and the knowledge and the ambition of the entrepreneur. I, I don't care about your idea because later down the road, if I got a million dollars and I invest in you, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna fix that idea. But I care about you. I care about, do you have unique knowledge in this space? Check marks the box. Okay, let's move to the next step. Have you done your research and your homework to substantiate these assumptions? And that's where your question comes in. And if just going on Amazon and pulling some stats and throwing it in a spreadsheet is what you did, then anyone can do that. So did you take it the next mile? Did you look at these stats and talk a little bit more about them? Did you go and check it against other sources? Did you go and ask the customer? So that's where we can talk a little bit more fancy about what we're doing and why, and why we think this opportunity is a unique space for people to invest in. Once you get through this program, you're gonna be able to confidently walk in this conversation and say, eh, I'm joking with you. Lemon squeezers, get on the bandwagon. <laughs> you didn't know, but now you know. <laughs> and I'm gonna walk away from that conversation saying, honey, we gotta start investing in lemon squeezers. Do you know about this? Specific value creating method for capitalizing on the opportunity. So now we're shifting into the concept. We talked about the opportunity of lemon squeezers. Now, how are we going to take that and sell it? How are we going to design a business model around the opportunity and bring it to market? New product, new service, or new process. So what's on the squeezers? New product, new service, or new process? Really? It's not a new product. It's a new process that we're getting cheaper to potentially connect different people. So it's really a new process internally that we're leveraging to create this opportunity. And that's what the investors or the people who read the business plan or even your friends and family or people who want to work with you are going to hone in on. Why would I want to join your team and run this? Let me tell you about the new process we have, buying them cheaper than our competition, manufacturing, making them, and selling them. Probably have to sell a few first before you hire people. The unique combination that defines how much value a customer is getting can include price, distribution, packaging, etc. So if we could add some fancy packaging to our lemon squeezers along with buying them at a cheaper price and we compare it to our competition and we see that there's a clear benefit here and this one's better and it is cheaper, we have to be careful with adding too many features and functions to somewhere where we're trying to get in to undercut people on price. Because, again, it's not, not a good thing, but it potentially could cost more money or it potentially could take away from the unique value proposition that we have. We, we sort of, I mean, the lemon squeezers, it's an interesting example. We won't beat it to death, but the reality is it's a very simple product. It's sort of a commodity. It's an existing market. You know, we should be able to talk about these things, whereas my robot example of something that cleans my floor while I'm gone is a little bit more niche. It's a little bit more creative. There's a lot of different features and functionalities you can add to it. You can compete on differentiation and quality as opposed to price and have your own unique market. There's ways in which you could maneuver around that business concept where with lemon squeezers, you're a little bit boxed in. It's a type of product within a certain type of market um, that you know, if you're in the business of selling lemon squeezers, you probably should have a few other products as well. Unique combination that defines how much value a customer is getting. Can include price distribution, packaging, we talked about that, the concept. Okay, concepts about putting things together that have not been put together before. Combining things in a way that have not been combined before. Starbucks, who's a Starbucks fan? Okay, so what did Starbucks do? Howard Schultz, yeah. You know, what was his unique way of uh, putting things together to deliver an existing product? So what he did was he 
marketed and, and communicated the way in which his coffee beans were bought, distributed to where he was, the way they were uh, custom brewed on site, and the smell in all the stores, and the consistency of the experience from one Starbucks to the next. So he went for quality, and the quality in which he went to was saying, listen, we don't buy from these industrial farms, and we're not looking for beans at the cheapest price. We buy from local family farms. We send our tasters down there first to make sure the beans are of quality. Uh, we pay above premium, above average price, to ensure that these farms are well taken care of, that we're paying good money for their product, and they're not employing a bunch of people below the, the poverty level to pick these coffee beans for us. So the process in which he created those channels for his beans was unique, different, and he communicated those things. And then he brought them into the store, and in the store, he said, my baristas are making good money. And these machines, they're $25,000 a piece. Not $5,000, $25,000. They're the best of the best. Manufactured, patented, unbelievable machines, invest in R&D, makes a kick butt cup of coffee, according to some. And, and that's, we're doing coffee in a unique, different kind of way. Sounds cool, right? Coffee shops have been around forever. Starbucks did different. A lot of other people sell the same coffees. Starbucks does. But Starbucks represents the unique combination. Would you agree or disagree? Agree. That's where the concept comes in. The core value proposition. They didn't, it wasn't really solving a problem because I could go get coffee somewhere. They just did it a little bit better. Food, water, clothing, shelter, entertainment, relationships, socialization, education. These are, these are needs. Think bigger picture. Problems are, um, I'm always late to work. I, I don't feel safe in my home. Um, my lemon squeezer's not working as well as I wanted to. Like those are real, those are problems, but in the bigger picture, we need to think about them. Teach uniquely is I want you guys to think like, oh wow, I own, I own Home Depot and I'm, I'm in the tool section and what would I do differently? Or I'm, I'm selling lemon squeezers online. Like, okay, what does that look like? And it's called experiential learning where we start exploring these ideas. You start coming up with some yourself and you start putting it on paper and you start running. You're learning a valuable skill of entrepreneurship that you're going to take with you forever. In this value proposition aspect, we want to be able to quickly create value propositions in our mind. There's a process. There's a way in which in a value proposition that makes sense versus one that doesn't really work because it doesn't resonate with the customer. So this is actually about positioning, but it's a good example. Four, target customers, beachhead segment only. These are the initial customers. When you hear beachhead, Think, think Normandy when you storm it first, the, uh, when you really do your marketing, you're targeting these particular people. I could spill into, if I'm marketing my product, uh, my video games to 16-year-old uh, boys, it could spill into 28-year-old men too because they sometimes do the video games. But my beachhead is here. So who is it for? Think about that in your value proposition. Who, who are dissatisfied with the current market alternatives? So, this is for 16-year-old boys who are bored with Halo. Our product is a iPhone-based application game. Cool, because Halo is on Xbox. That provides a real-life war shooting scenario. I'm just making this up. Unlike Halo, which provides futuristic Space arts. We're trying to provide real life. We have assembled a team of developers that have created a virtual reality application that's better than anyone. Now, if I said that fast, we were This is for 16-year-old boys who are tired of playing Halo, and our product is an application on the phone that provides real-life gun killing situations. Unlike Halo, we actually have virtual reality concepts on your phone. Now, that sort of like justifies and, and builds this value behind what I'm doing. So I, I use that just as a, did you see what I did there? I just came up with a flipping who knows what. But I was capable because I've gone through this process so many times of just throwing it out there. So that, I want you guys to get used to that. Think about, okay, who's this for? Why is it different? How, how, how can I, how am I going to connect to my customers? You know, what am I providing that someone else isn't? And, you know, think about your customer. Are they going to like this? You think the kids are going to like this? Yeah, I think they're going to like it. It's cool. 
and, and talk about those things. But if you think about this, it answers every single one of those questions. Now, are we going to are we going to say that in front of our investors? Probably not. But it's so important that we understand what this is telling us when we look for opportunities and when we position some of these opportunities. Because remember, it's the opportunity combined with the business concept is the commercialization. That's awesome that you have you are not happy with the way your barber cut your hair. Like that's a problem, right? Okay, so great. Hooray, you're a complainer. But the reality is an entrepreneur says, I have an idea that's going to take haircutting experience and mix it with drinking whiskey for whatever reason and um, washing your hair in a unique kind of way that's going to bring people to this place. And we have to make sure we get it done. It's not just about playing the game of entrepreneurship. It's about learning the process. And hopefully today you took the whole like snake oil salesman. I'm an entrepreneur because I have tons of ideas. Like you're not an entrepreneur. Your ideas don't have a market. They, they can't be commercialized. You haven't done all the thinking. You need to think about what ifs, what could happen. You need to understand your resources. So today, hopefully, you learned a little bit more about the opportunity recognition combined with the business concept. But thinking like an entrepreneur, we see the issues, issue, but more importantly, we design, diagnose the problem. Once we diagnose the problem, we can leverage our creativity and resources to create a solution. This is opportunity recognition in the entrepreneur world. We are aware, we think about what could be, and we act in ways to make this happen. Talk to me about what existing problem will you solve? What existing problem did Amazon solve? What existing problem did Tesla solve? If you don't have a business idea, talk about existing company. What is the nature of the opportunity or problem? You don't have to type paragraphs for all of this, you could type two sentences. What, what forces are creating the opportunity? Why is the opportunity now? Remember we talked about the time. What is the size of the opportunity? How would you describe the business that will solve the problem? Now we're getting into the concept to a potential investor, team member, or customer. What's the elevator What is the unique about this venture? Develop a brief concept statement for the product or service that can be shown to potential customers. How will the product be used? What are some unique features? What is the primary benefit to customers? How does the solution improve or replace current offerings? The iceberg underneath is the research that we're going to do, is the customers that we're going to talk to, and is the opportunity that we're going to open up to see this whole picture. But really, can we see, can we see it now? We can kind of see it. You may have some experience in your business. But the goal is to, oh, we want to see the whole thing. We want to have Superman and Fred glasses as entrepreneurs into our business model and into our opportunity to say, ah, see something you don't see.